0: Let's get up to rotation speed and take off on another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Christiansen, and uh, we we kind of, I guess, spilled the beans yesterday. It's always fun to play. Where's Susan? <laughs> We're gonna, once again, I think we figured that out uh, yesterday already, Susan. But uh, as is as we play with Where's Waldo, where is Susan Littlefield this morning? I am in Tucson, Arizona,
1: where it's two hours earlier in the day,
0: yeah.
1: Um, as they're, they never do the whole day, daylight savings time thing, but I'm sitting in um, a conference hall overlooking some beautiful mountains behind me. It's oh, just wow. gorgeous. Oh, so, wow. And I'll bet I'm the temperature so is, is not
0: 34 degrees either, is it?
1: No, it's supposed to be 79 here today, oh. but we won't know, cause we'll, but we'll be inside <laughs> working, so we're not going to get outside to enjoy it, if that makes you feel any better.
0: Oh, it doesn't.
1: <laughs> I think it's not.
0: I All figured right. not. All right, Susan. Well, well uh, look, get, look at that beautiful background there and tell us what's up today on our Midday program.
1: Lots of great things happening on Midday. Coming up at 12 and 19, Terry O'Neill's going to join us. He's, of course, a Nebraskan and president of the National Pork Board. We're talking industry, of course, wrapping up pork month, but more importantly, some decent pork numbers, some decent prices, and exports. So that's part of the reason why he's here at the USMES meeting. Then at 1245, if you're out in the field, you're dealing with it, and that's downed corn. But the bigger concern comes after you get that corn out of the field and putting your cattle out there, Mm -hmm. some things that you need to think about before you put cattle out there to graze the stocks. Then coming up at 117, Bryce is going to have an NRCS program update with the USDA. And grazing stocks, by the way, is an interview that Shaley did. So lots of things happening on Midday for the farm
0: department. Yeah, lots of real interesting and uh, and important stuff there. Yeah, that grazing is uh, is a pretty difficult thing sometimes. Uh, I know you've yep. got another call that you have to make, Susan. So we'll let you go ahead and go. Thanks for being with us on the roundtable. Sounds good. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, sir. Thanks, sir. I was looking right at Mister Sir over here, Jason Jorgensen ask you sir what's going on in the sports world
2: we have a game seven in the world series and i think a lot of people are happy with that because this has been a very good series there's been some high drama there's been a lot of home runs hit so the dodgers and astros will finish it off tonight in that final game of the baseball season it'll be interesting to see what the ratings have been like on this when it's all said and done but uh, two larger market cities game seven fox is probably pretty happy Did you ever figure out exactly who you were rooting for, or are you just rooting for a good series? Uh, I've been for the Astros. Don't ask me why. Uh But uh, we'll see. Yeah, It's always great for a first-time team to... Oh, yeah, the, World yeah they're, they're more than due. Also, we'll talk some high school playoff football action, classes D1 and D2. Oddly enough, most of the top seeds are actually on the road with the way the NCAA does their playoffs because there were a bunch of upsets in a lot of those 8-9 games yeah. last week. And we'll uh, hear from Kansas State head coach Bill Snyder. So we'll touch on all of that. Also talk a little college basketball. Duke will start the year number one.
0: As they have many, many times.
2: Many, many
0: times. All right. Bob Brogan on business. Stocks are pushing higher at midday, led by energy companies and raw material producers. Also, the GOP lawmakers, uh, some of them appear to be mixed on a sales tax deduction as uh, talks continue on uh, tax reform in Washington, D.C. Private survey finds the U.S. businesses added a solid number of jobs in October. Those are some of the stories we're keeping an eye on. Lots of interesting listening ahead on today's Midday. Time to take in some ag weather, and I'm going to look right Square into the eyes of weather guy Paul Perkins and ask the salient question of the day
3: as my eyes shift away <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. where's our sunshine sir
3: <laughs> well it's getting closer we are seeing some sunshine right now over west central nebraska and northwest kansas so it's coming we do have some brighter skies on the way <laughs> all right
0: well there it is and uh, you know it's just like we always say it <laughs> There's always a percentage to these things. This uh, ag weather is being brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation.
3: We do have yeah, some sunshine starting to arrive in west central areas of Nebraska, especially from Ogallala into the northwest corner of Kansas. That will slowly move to the east today. Still a little bit of light snow, maybe some rain mixed in with it towards Albion to Bartlett this morning. Over north central Nebraska, that will continue to dissipate and not be too much of a factor. Warmer temperatures on the way today thanks to a warm front bringing us a southwest flow. Fire weather concerns will be heightened in those drier areas of west central Nebraska where the winds will be just a touch stronger late today and tonight. Guess what? Another cold front will be sweeping southeast through the region. You didn't see that coming. Winds will switch to the northeast behind that front, and we will see, once again, cooler temperatures for tomorrow. But with this front not expecting the gusty winds that we have seen of late, some high pressure over North Dakota will provide a reinforcing shot of some cooler air as we head towards Friday. But the weekend does look better. Dry and warmer weather on the way with the weak ridge of high pressure building across the central U.S. Temperatures once again cool down. Our up and down weather continues. Another front arriving early next week. Could see some spotty rain or snow with some light accumulations, if any, late Monday into Tuesday with the disturbance tracking towards the east. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are forecast to start about seasonal for early next week. Then we'll trend to near normal to warmer than normal late next week through November 14th. Near normal to below normal, is the precipitation forecast for Nebraska-Kansas and Kansas Monday through the 14th. The weather factors the market traders are considering include chilly and damp conditions slowing the Midwest harvest and uncertainty over soil moisture in Brazil. During the mid to late week, cold air will continue to settle across the northern plains and much of the west. Over the weekend, sub-zero temperatures could affect northern portions of the Rockies and the high plains initially. Heavy snow will accompany that cold surge, especially across the northern Rockies. But we're not going to see much of that. Dry weather will prevail through the weekend across the southern plains. Weekend precipitation could become heavy from the eastern Corn Belt into northern New England. That cool and unsettled pattern in much of the Midwest will continue to slow the harvest, especially in the eastern Midwest this week. Conditions are favorable in the southern plains right now for developing and planting winter wheat this week. The southern plains continue to watch for a possible drying trend going into winter dormancy. Harvest and wheat planting weather favorable right now in the southeast U.S. and Delta. Disruptions, though, likely by Friday and Saturday with some rain. After several weeks of dry conditions in central Brazil, soil moisture is improving. The subsoil moisture, though, very low, and that won't offer a buffer if the hot and dry weather return.
0: All right. And our weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. want to, uh, I guess, put you on the spot here, okay. see if you've got any kind of a prediction for what the Northwestern game's going to look like.
3: Well, that's probably a tight one. It's <laughs> Not
0: the game, the weather. Oh, oh.
3: <laughs> I think pretty good. It should be pretty good. It, probably okay. about 60, I'm guessing, probably mid to upper 50s in Lincoln that way. So, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: All right, well, we want to remind you. If you're looking for <laughs> tickets, we got a pile of them at 308-324-2371 if you'd like to we get connected up with someone who needs to sell theirs for this weekend. 308-324-2371 uh tickets to the Northwestern game. We we've got it all. We do it here. Everything for you here.
3: Full service,
0: right? Yeah. Absolutely. And when you and, need I, weather, and I
3: just looked by the way. Partly sunny and 60 is the forecast for Lincoln on right as saturday afternoon so it should be great game weather that's perfect yeah. let's we'll see
0: if we can uh, <laughs> make that happen uh, uh-huh. with a little sunshine maybe
3: you bet weather anytime at krvn.com <laughs> tax reform
4: bill will be voted on tomorrow i'm shaley peters on the rural radio network with a quick check of your midday ag news farmer cooperatives could take a hit chabella guzman has more The biggest
5: tax reform in 30 years is working its way through Congress, but there are sections, such as Section 199, lawmakers are looking at doing away with that could hurt rural communities. Rocky Weber, President and General Counsel of the Nebraska Cooperative Council, says getting rid of Section 199 could really affect cooperatives and their communities.
6: So even though there's been consolidation amongst the co-ops, they have kept locations and employment centers and facilities in all the communities that used to have their own cooperatives. So there is a broad cooperative presence in each of our communities. And that's mostly largely felt through maintaining facilities in counties and paying property taxes towards counties and cities. And it's also felt in the payrolls and go to employees living in those small communities.
5: Nebraska's farmer-owned cooperatives have locations in 376 rural communities across the state. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shabella Guzman.
4: And also giving comments on the tax reform bill is our Agriculture Secretary, Sonny Perdue.
6: Well, we can never forget that agriculture and farms are businesses as well. They have to make a profit in order to continue to do that, and uh, taxes are a big, huge part of that. And I think the proposal that President Trump has made for farmers in a couple of different areas based on rates and treating these businesses uh, in a lower tax rate uh, will be extremely helpful to farmers, allowing them to keep more of their money to reinvest in land, equipment, and, uh, and, and building up the resources that uh, contribute to their livelihood. And then at the end of their life, uh, doing away with the death tax. Many farmers, uh, as you know, it's not too funny to say they uh, uh, live poor and die rich with land. And so that's unfortunately, that uh, they get caught in the state tax and it's a double tax. And I'm uh, delighted that President. Trump is proposing to do away with it. We think that's a very popular proposal on farmland and uh, as well as the, the rates that go down for these small businesses.
4: U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue. another other ag news, Nebraska Farm Service Agency Acting State Executive Director Mike Eller today announced the U.S. Department of Agriculture will begin mailing ballots to eligible farmers and ranchers for the 2017 FSA County Committee elections on Monday, November 6th. Producers must return ballots to their local FSA offices by December 4th to ensure their vote is counted. County committee members represent the farmers and ranchers in our Nebraska communities," said Eller. Producers elected to these committees have always played a vital role in local agricultural decisions. It is a valued partnership that helps us better understand the needs of farmers and the ranchers we serve. And a new survey of bankers shows 82% of agricultural lenders reported a decline in farm profitability in the last 12 months. However, the pace of the decline has slowed. The survey produced by the American Bankers Association and Farmer Mac shows 51% of agricultural lenders noted an increase in the demand for agricultural operating loans, while there was no notable change in the demand for agricultural real estate loans. Despite the findings, the survey of more than 50 580 agricultural lenders revealed that the agricultural loan approval rate is still 84%. An ABA spokesperson says that overall, the data shows that the lenders are a little more optimistic about what's ahead compared to last year. And that's a quick check of your midday ag news. For more on any of these stories, including audio and video, head on over to RuralRadio.com for the Rural Radio Network and Jamie Peters pork
5: producers please with recent prices and exports as well good afternoon i'm susan littlefield on the rural radio network terry o'neill who is from friend nebraska is also president of the national pork board he and i met up here in tucson arizona during the u.s meat export federation to talk about yesterday's prices and where they're moving forward post porktober
7: yeah things look great yesterday susan um Actually, we saw some uh, record highs on some of the contracts, particularly in December. Uh, They're up 270 yesterday, so that's good news for pork producers. Uh, Went through a low spot early on in October, so hopefully it went through a fall fall low. And yeah, the markets may retrace back a little bit, but right now they're looking really good.
5: And you guys are going to do a good time of year because we're going to see... Turkeys and hams yes. married together over the holidays. Yes,
7: we're going to have a lot of, of ham processing going on, so there's got a lot of demand going on. We've got major packers uh, adding new plants, and they're just ramping up. So they're at uh, partial capacity, so when those as those plants get better and better at processing, uh, more training for their employees, they're going to be bringing more hogs and more hogs, which creates more demand for our pigs. So. Hopefully it will be very supportive of prices.
5: Well, speaking of demand, we're coming off of October Pork Month, uh, a big time for you guys to promote domestically mm-hmm. the importance of the pork industry and the great meat that you guys provide.
7: Mm-hmm. Yes, we have a lot of pork promotions. We call it Porktober, and we're promoting you know pulled pork, uh, any type of uh, stews and things, because we have cooler temperatures going on, we want to use some pork in that. Tailgating is big for football. Lots of brats served during that time frame. We're kind of out of the BLT season and getting more into the fall and the winter time. And uh, Porktober was excellent for us. Even in Nebraska, we had a uh, presentation where we went into local um, cafes, went to local cafes as as producers and as as, uh, directors on the board we gave out free breakfasts. And I guess had a free breakfast I gave out on Halloween yesterday. So the people were very appreciative of that, and they, it gains uh, better attention to October being pork month.
5: Do you? I mean, obviously, it's, it's been such an establishment. Do you see that as helping you guys in domestic sales and maybe even bringing one step further to what you guys
7: do in the pork industry to raise, raise these hogs? I think it does. I think it helps a lot. I mean, October being pork month's been around for a long time, and I think where it started was... Typically, you had the South farrow in the spring, and then you had all these pigs come to market in October, and the prices tended to go down. So it helps be supportive of our prices during that time of the year, kind of the, kind of a bridge over to uh, the holiday season. So I think it's helped us out quite a bit. Um, that time is, is, is typically a tough time for producers, but it looks like we kind of bottomed out early October and just kind of went up as we went through. So I don't know if it helped, but I know prices are going higher.
5: 2017 has been a good year export wise as well for this industry, gaining some markets back, gaining some new markets with mm-hmm. you guys having boots on the ground mm-hmm. in these countries, talking firsthand.
7: Yes, we actually went to Japan and Asia early September of this year. We we're there for 11 days, uh, four days in uh, Japan and there are seven days in China. And we saw the importance of uh, U.S. pork there. Uh, they like our product, they know it's a safe product. They like the quality of product. Granted, we have some work to do on some of our specifications and things like that, and that's why we're there, to gain some intelligence. So I think it was a very worthwhile trip for us to go as officers this last month and to gain some uh, ideas of what we can do better to help promote exports because we know we've got more and more pork coming down the pipeline, and the best way to move that product is to export.
5: Those comments coming from Terry O'Neill in Tucson, Arizona. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
8: Becoming partly cloudy across Nebraska tonight with a chance of rain or snow in the western part of the state, the lows generally in the 30s. I'm Dave Schroeder. The Senate Judiciary Committee is set to vote on President Donald Trump's nomination of Omaha Attorney Stephen Graz to serve as judge on the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. He'd been recommended by Nebraska Senators Deb Fisher and Ben Sass, but the American Bar Association has issued a rare rating of not qualified. The ABA issued a statement saying a number of lawyers, judges, and others associated with Groz believe his anti-abortion stance would prevent him from carrying out his judicial duties. Senator Ben Sass says it's sad the ABA would contort their ratings process to try and tarnish Graz's professional reputation in order to drive a political agenda on the issue of life.
3: In in more than a decade as the Chief Deputy Attorney General, whether he was litigating cases before the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington on behalf of the state of Nebraska, or whether it was before the Nebraska Supreme Court in Lincoln, Republicans and Democrats alike knew that Steve represented Nebraska
8: with integrity and professionalism. Ross served as Chief Deputy Attorney General for the state from 1991 to 2002. A January sentencing has been scheduled for a Schuyler man involved in a fatal traffic accident. Twenty-seven-year-old Jesus Vasquez de la Cruz pleaded no contest in Colfax County District Court to manslaughter. He was driving a pickup truck in April of last year when it went out of control on a rural road north-northwest of Schuyler. His passenger, 24-year-old Moises Aguilar Aguilar, was fatally injured. The county attorney's office is recommending a four-month jail sentence and $5,000 in restitution as part of the plea deal. The judge is not bound by the agreement. Sentencing is set for January 10th. Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos is calling for the peace process in his country to serve as a beacon of hope while accepting an honorary degree. From a university in the U.S., Santos spoke at the University of Kansas, where he earned degrees in business and economics in 1973. Santos won last year's Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts to end his country's civil war after five decades of bloodshed. Santos says that despite differences, people need to coexist in times of conflict. When extremism, radicalism, racism, or populism might arise, Santos says we do not fight evil with evil. Santos also says it is always easier to wage war than seek peace and to go for the emotions rather than for the arguments. Trusted charities are accepting donations for hurricane disaster relief. You can do your part by using our links at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
4: With the recent rain followed up by wind, we have a lot of downed corn across the state. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and here visiting today with Mary Drunoski. She's a UNL Beef Systems Specialist. And Mary, today we're going to talk about once that corn gets out of the field, so to speak... Um, there's going to be a lot of it that's left there for those cattlemen that graze those stocks. That's not too far out and definitely something they're going to want to consider before just kicking cattle out on stocks this winter for grazing. So why don't we open up by just going into what exactly they need to be considering and looking at here ahead of time.
9: Well, uh, with the delayed harvest, as you mentioned, and the high winds, we're seeing a lot of downed ears. And the first thing cattlemen need to do before they turn out is actually assess uh, how much downed ears there actually is in the field so they can take proper precautions to avoid acidosis. So the first thing we suggest is actually going out and getting an estimate of downed ears. And the way to do that, the simple way, is just to walk three separate 100-foot sections in the field and count the number of ears um that are in that uh, two and a half foot furrow. And then, so let's say uh, in those three 100 foot sections, I had 30 ears that I counted total between the three of them. I would just divide that number by two and that will tell me how many bushels of corn per acre I have in the field. So if I have 30 ears, divide that by two and it says I've got 15 bushels of corn per acre, which is about 840 pounds of corn per acre. So that's a lot of corn that cattle have access to. And our problem is that cows in particular that have been out grazing before, that's the first thing they go and they seek out. So we can have issues with acidosis if we have over eight to 10 bushels per acre uh, down in the field. So we need to take some precautions.
4: Which, of course, leads me right into my next question. What precautions do those producers need to be taking?
9: Yes, exactly. I think um, if if you have between probably 8 to 10 up to maybe 15, we can get away with just trying to work cows up onto diet before turnout. And what I mean by that is, we start supplementing them a couple pounds of corn and work them all the way up to seven or eight pounds before we turn them out. Um, and that can help reduce the risk of acidosis as well as when they're out there, go ahead and feed them a mineral that has an ionophore in it like munensin. Um Those ionophores can help reduce the incidence of acidosis. Those two things together can help us out a lot. But when we get into that 15 upwards uh, bushels per acre, uh, even those precautions probably are not going to be enough. And so the next step is the one nobody wants to hear, which is you're going to have to limit access. And you can do that two ways. One is more fencing and give them smaller sections at a time. Uh, one is actually only give them access to the field for a certain amount of time during the day. And some people have successfully done that. That one sounds like, well, how in the world would I do it? But... What people do is they actually fence off another little section in the field and they'll give them some supplemental feed in there and then lock them in for the rest of the day. And it may be that you even just bring out a portable corral and use that portable corral to lock them up for the rest of the day until you get a lot of that corn grazed off and then you can keep, you can give them access, uh, all day for the remaining period of the grazing. So those are two options to think about. The third one is to really think about what if I graze some growing calves out there. And one of the reasons why we actually suggest using growing calves or even replacement heifers is that they can capitalize on that increased energy. Really, a lot of times our spring cows, um, all they're going to do is get fat on you. And adding that supplemental corn right, Uh even to work them up is money that uh you don't really need to spend. But growing calves can actually make use of that extra energy. And so we might suggest two things, providing a little bit of protein supplement while they're out there grazing that corn because we still don't have enough protein to make use of all that energy. And then the other thing is to do the same things that we just discussed with the cows. Go ahead and work them up to a little bit higher Corn diet, feed them an ionophore, give them a little bit of supplement when they're out there. And the nice thing about growing calves is it takes them a little while to figure out to go seek out that corn so they're a little bit slower on the intake, so you're a little bit lower risk of acidosis.
4: A lot of really good information today here, Mary. If somebody needs to go on and reference this here after today's visit, where can they find a lot of this information on how to calculate and what exactly they need to be doing?
9: Oh, that's a great question. And on our homepage of the beef.unl.edu webpage, we actually have an article written by Aaron Berger uh, that talks all about estimating the amount of corn in the
4: field as well as those mitigation strategies that I outlined. All right, Mary, thanks so much for all of the information. Again, visiting here with Mary Drunoski, UNL Beef Systems Specialist, talking to us about what exactly producers need to be doing before kicking those cattle out on stocks for winter grazing with much of the downed corn due to the wind. Again, you can find this information at ruralradio.com or head on over to their website. It's beef.unl.edu. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
10: Next up, we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe, on the Livestock Futures Trade, how did we finish today?
11: Uh, higher <laughs> uh, in the cattle. Uh, the hogs, uh, a little bit different story, but the uh, cattle off again, and uh, new, new highs. Uh, so, it just keeps rolling along. Can't say that they got any cash news to uh, report. Um, what's traded has been very light, and Surprisingly, uh, a little bit lower than uh, where we uh, were last week. But nonetheless, the cutouts were sharply higher last night, higher again at noon today. So uh, the idea is that uh, the, the uh, packers' uh, margins are going to be good enough. They're going to come out and pay, uh, pay up for cattle. And we had a lot of fun buying once again in the market uh, today. So the cattle and the feeders both uh, gains. Uh, sharp gains in the uh, feeders triple digit gains whereas we were uh, just higher um, moderately higher in the uh, in the cattle and new highs uh, over in the hogs uh, boy uh, we late sell-off uh, in the december contract of hogs uh finishing uh, down a dollar forty the market's acting uh, kind of tired right now and uh, uh Even though despite the fact that the index is still moving up, cash seems to be near steady, uh, uh, we're discounted to that index. And uh, even further today, uh, with uh, the triple-digit losses in the December contract and losses in the February contract, back in a little bit higher, looks like uh, we're getting some spreading going on.
10: You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities, 800 Three two eight zero one three four. Dewey Nelson reporting.
12: Back on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. The USDA is providing funds to protect and restore agricultural lands, grasslands, and wetlands across Nebraska with a program. Joining me to discuss more about that is Tom Schleif with the NRCS State Office in Lincoln, Nebraska. Tom, just to start out with, give us an overview of this program and tell us more about it.
13: Yeah, the ASEP program was was changed a little bit for, with the 2014 Farm Bill. and it, uh, The ASEP, uh, A-L-E, or Agricultural Land Easement Program, combined some of the other programs like the Grassland Reserve Program and the Farm and Ranch Land Protection Program. And so in an attempt to simplify it a little bit, it was put under one umbrella, the ALE program itself is designed to specifically protect land from conversion from cropland or an agricultural status into some type of other development and uh, in order to do the ALE or the agricultural land easement you have to have a separate entity that's willing to hold that easement consequently on the other side of it is the wetland reserve uh, and easement program the WRE part of it where we're looking to protect enhance and, and restore Degraded wetlands.
12: Talk about who's eligible to apply for, um, this program.
13: Essentially, with, with the agricultural land easement program or the ALE program, producers that are looking to do that need to find a entity of some kind, like, uh, an example would be the NRDs or, a, or the Game of Parks Commission or somebody of that nature that's main purpose is to manage wildlife type lands. And, and they would actually make the application for them. So it has to be through an entity, and this entity has to be willing to pay 50% of the cost of the easement, and they will also manage and maintain uh, and do the monitoring on that easement. And the WRE side of it, the Wetland Reserve Easement Program, anybody, uh, producers that have uh, a FSA farm number, um, that have a restorable wetland can apply.
12: Tom, talk about why someone should consider applying for this program.
13: Sure, and that that's, you know, that is a very good question. That's kind of a personal one. Primarily what we get is people looking to what what can I do with this ground if, you know, maybe it's been in the family for generations and I don't want to see it ever converted to a non-agricultural state. Uh, that's that's a that's a high priority for people that are looking to to say it's a a prairie area that's never been turned uh, for cropland. Um, those those folks are are looking at at trying to get some stabilization there so they can protect that for future generations. Um, on the wetland side of it, it it's usually based on economics. They're looking for you know that they'll get a payment for the easement part of it, but you know they're they're it's a lot of times they're not getting good production off of it or only production on certain years. And so, uh, and and like any good stewards of the land, you know they realize that there that there's ag chemicals that are getting into these these wetter areas.
12: And Tom, if someone's listening to this interview right now and says that sounds like something we want to do on our operation, where where do you want them to go to learn more information about this program?
13: Well, they can check the NRCS website, uh, and or c- go to their local USDA service center and stop in the NRCS office there.
12: That was Tom Schleif with the NRCS State Office discussing the USDA providing funds to protect and restore agriculture land, grasslands, and wetlands across Nebraska. I'm Bryce Duskett, and this is the Rural Radio Network.
10: Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Your perspective on this grain market and what happened today on the first day of a trading month
14: nice to see some money come in on the buy side. could have been that or just simply exiting uh, you know you've seen a lot of rallying outside commodity markets led by you know livestock being prominent here um, but the 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 action we saw in corn and soybeans are, are both promising, I think. Given that uh, you know we're going to see President Trump go over to China here in the next week and a half, I think it will be there, and you know we could get some talk about uh, you know additional Chinese uh, you know purchases in the future, and I think that could all be supportive. As of right now, you know I, I would say I, I don't talk to a, a small sample size wouldn't wouldn't would be a good way to describe it, and the the, the trade is pretty much in the end step with what I'm hearing better than expected corn yields, bean yields are a little disappointing now, especially as we as we move up north. Uh, folks who are harvesting up there I think are, are a little lower than what I've heard in, in folks in the south.
10: So we will also take into account maybe some soybean planting delays down in Argentina as a supportive factor too.
14: Absolutely. I think anything here on the bean side is going to be helpful. I, I think the, 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 the meal prices are starting to go a little bit here. We saw a good day there. Um, You know, it's been one step forward, two steps back in this market, and uh, you know we bounced off a pretty important trend line there, and I think that'll be something technically we lean into going into uh, the last two days of the week. Wazi next week, you know, I I think there could be some anticipated bullishness on the soybean side. The opposite will be the case for corn, but again, I you know, there's a lot of length here that I think could get washed out, and that would put us really record short. So what I've been telling guys is, if you just think you just don't gamble and reown it here, try to get it a little cheaper. See if you can get that March contract closer to 355 or 350. I just think it's going to be a little easier to hold. If you're selling 360 December, I wouldn't re own. If you're selling closer to 340, I would.
10: And in wheat, aren't the traders well short there, too?
14: Yes. Now, wheat's a little bit of a different animal right now open interest is really high meaning there's just a lot of folks in the market right now so there's a lot of shorts in it too but a little, little length I think is liquidating right now and we're, we're going to put ourselves back towards that record short level and I think as we move uh, you know into the trade uh, second half of, of November things tend to look a little better seasonally um, you know I just think you want to probably buy the delivery break I, I think it's a little early here and, and the fact that we got up this morning and just couldn't follow through is just you know another step down in, in my opinion towards four dollars.
10: Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst at Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Check out the website, DanielsAgMarketing.com. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.
0: Late-day markets and commentary brought to you by the Bank of Donovan, where your money is handled wisely and professionally. At Bank of Donovan, you come first. Coming up in just a moment, Fox Business checks in, and before this hour is out, we'll check in with Nebraska's grain sorghum producers. That's all up on 880 KRV.